0: Hello and welcome to the latest Amy Talking Health and Wellbeing podcast. I'm Dave Middleton, Chair of the Association of Medical Insurers and Intermediaries, or Amy for short. Amy is a health and wellbeing association with over 140 members, including all major UK health insurers and intermediaries. Our aim is to be the voice of the health and wellbeing industry. Today's subject is artificial intelligence, and we will be exploring how it has and will impact the health and wellbeing industry moving forward. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by co-founder of the insurance company Life, Jonathan Rumer. Jonathan, welcome.
1: Thank you, Dave. It is uh, wonderful to be here, even though it's beautiful in London outside, sitting indoors for this uh, exciting podcast.
0: I'm in Birmingham. It's beautiful here too. Jonathan, I was looking at your CV via LinkedIn and I actually loved the comment that your mum appears to uh, agree with your bio. It did make me smile, actually. It's a nice little comment. Could you tell me a little bit? more about your cv where you've been where you've come from and ultimately why you ended up where you are now at your life
1: yeah thank you i mean we've got just over 40 years worth of cv there to, to to talk about since uh since i was born so it might take a little bit more than half an hour although to be honest it probably won't because i think you you can summarize a lot very quickly we'll start actually just there with with, with my mom which is kind of a random place to to, to start but i think It is a very appropriate place to start because a lot of where I've got now in the insurance world and everything is actually due to her. And she'll probably hear this and get gratitude from me for the first time on this journey when she listens to to this podcast. But it was very early in uh, in my my schooling days where I was actually a pretty average student for most things. And I started to show a little bit of aptitude in, in, in mathematics. And my mom, being a perfect Jewish mother, went to the gardens counselor and said, this is Jonathan, this is what his strength are. He's kind of good at maths, nothing really else. What is the highest paying job he can get being good at maths? And the counselor said he can become an actuary. So from the time I was probably 10 or 11 years old, my, my mom told me I was going to become an actuary. And I did eventually. And <laughs> I spent some time working at KPMG and uh, doing the life insurance consultancy. I'd practice on the life insurance side, uh, but honestly didn't really enjoy it that much. I, I preferred the theory more than than the practice of it from a, a consulting perspective. Um, and always throughout the time, my real passion was on technology and startups, gadgets, anything like that that was more cutting edge and early adopting was always where my, my passion really was. Throughout that period of time, I, I tried a few startups actually before I qualified as an actuary with some friends back in South Africa. As I had very success, meaning very little, meaning learned lots and lots of lessons along the way. As I used to say, there's no such thing as failure. Just uh, lessons being learned, all the great LinkedIn lingo you can stick, stick in there. And then came through to London and was with KPMG and was really starting to feel this itch to, to leave and to do something different. And I was very fortunate that in my last few years at KPMG, I was in a team called the Tech Growth Team, and it was brilliant. It was one of these situations where a big corporate actually says, you know what, we're going to do good, and we're going to wait to see what happens. So the team was set up to help startups in any way humanly possible and with the hope that they'd come back and buy tech services, you know, when as and when they, they needed. And we did it really, really well. And I found it both incredibly inspiring, but then ultimately depressing at the same time. Because it was inspiring seeing all these people take a chance, trying to build their dreams, trying to do what they want. And I was kind of saying the same thing over and over again, watching from the outside. And it came to a point eventually because it was it was hard to leave. Because you know it's hard a lot oftentimes when you when you're in when you're in a situation that's not bad, but it's not necessarily right. It's hard to leave. So I think the final straw is actually fascinating. It was a, a cartoon I saw in the, I think it was in the New York Times, I saw it online, where you saw two children playing on a carpet, like their trains and everything there, a beautiful picture, just drawn, hand-drawn. And it says, the one child says to the other, What do you want to be when you give up? And it really hit me hard because, you know, I so what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And said, so what do you want to be when you give up? And I, and I reflected and for me being at KPMG at the time was in some way giving up in that it was going really well and it was a good career, but it's not what I wanted to be when I, when I grew up. So I, I took a chance and I left and I was beyond fortunate towards the end of my period at KPMG at the time, to meet with Sammy, the, the CEO and, and founder of, of Ulife, as he was coming up with the, the concept and as he was getting going at it, and started to bring in a couple of people, Sam and Josh. And I was just incredibly fortunate to, to meet them. And Sammy came with the idea and said, this is what we want to do. And from a purpose perspective, it was amazing because it combined the insurance with my technology passion. But ultimately, you know, I could say it was the mission that drew me most, but to be honest, it was the people. It was just, you know, I really believed in in the team, Sammy, and the people he had started to bring together. So I said, "Listen, I've got to be part of this. This this is the way it's got to be. I, I really want to be a co-founder in this business. Let's let's get going." And uh, and thankfully, it happened.
0: Interesting, you say people, because we're going to explore that throughout. Because we're talking about AI, and obviously AI has a lot of impact on, on the people. So uh, kind of touch on that a little bit later. So talk of AI actually goes back to the 20th century and and before, you know, with science fiction books that I read when I was a child and what machines were going to do in the future and what decisions they were going to make. And I kind of thought when I read them back in those days, yeah, really? Well, you know, now it's with us as as we all know. So in terms of AI within you life, what do you do with it now Uh, and what are you looking To do moving forward,
1: so we'll get to there in a a sec. I know that you you mentioned your 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 reading of of science fiction and and all and listeners won't be able to see in the background, but behind me I've got a, a pretty large bookshelf there with a lot of fantasy science fiction books, which are filled with all of these weird and wonderful things about the future and also also about demons and dragons, which are the best swords, magic, all that type of stuff. But what I find fascinating, as you were saying there, about you know, life catching up to science fiction is in a lot of ways, I think life doesn't imitate art, but it's actually inspired by it. So you find that a lot of the people who are at the cutting edge of building and developing these technologies, as you did read those books, but decided actually, I want to try and build these things. So it's fascinating that it's that often the art and that the science fiction inspires reality because people thought, oh, wow, that's amazing. What happens if we could actually build? It? So it's absolutely fascinating how a lot of these things come about. In terms of AI at, at Ulife, there's you know a bunch of categories in terms of where, where it gets used from the, the most mundane through to really the cutting edge and what's going forward. When I talk about things that are the most mundane, there's certain things that are tried and tested. So for example, um, within the Ulife app, we understand people's behavior within the app, not their, their well-being activities. I'm just talking about the way they use the app, how often they use the app, that we have now a model of... When we know somebody is probably going to stop using it, they know they're going to churn from actually using the app itself. And based on that behavior, we can then surface certain things or give additional rewards or encourage them to keep trying or trying different things that keeps them for longer. So the AI there in terms of app retention is phenomenal, and we have really, really good long-term engagement because of it. So this is one of those beautiful things that sits in the background. No one worries about it, and it just does its own thing over time. On the total opposite end of the spectrum is a very cutting edge part of a piece of AI we're working on now, something called the U-score, of course, because everything is U-something. And we've got an amazing partnership with the University of Essex right now, where we're having it validated. And the U-score is looking at the risk profile of a company, so of the, the cohort of the staff that are there based on their age, their location, all of that type of demographic information and saying, based on that, this is what we expect your risk score, your U-score to be. And then based on the behavior of people, while they policy holds of new life, you can say, well, actually you're above it or below it, where above it means that you actually have reduced your risk because your use score is higher. So it is comparing a company's risk profile to its benchmark of what what we'd we'd expect. So that's at the very cutting edge of the AI going forward. Um, And then in between those things, there are a million different uses, everything from uh, preparing for podcasts to really dumb LinkedIn posts that I tend to do. (laughs)
0: You talked about um, the use score as part of the app. Well, I think that's quite interesting, actually, because it, that links into current or the old underwriting ways of doing stuff and the people that underwrote. So when you talk about the risk score, I, I, I understand how that works. But what about previous history? And because obviously claims experience, etc., has been taken into account previously when underwriting, how does your AI... Take that into
1: account, or does it? So at the moment, we are not using this as an underwriting tool. The primary purpose of the use score at the moment, specifically while it's being validated with, as I said, with the University of Essex, is a tool to understand what next actions you can take to bring down your risk or to improve your use score. So it is, it is much more of a predictive, preventative tool right now as opposed to an underwriting tool. The underlying me- mechanics and data is, is the same in a lot of ways because if you understand what the risks are then you can write risk against it you can quantify a premium but at the moment it's being far more used to proactively go when we talk to our customers and say this is your your score if you're able to convince your staff to walk an extra x amount or actually take more breaks your use score is going to actually improve so we think therefore in the long term your cardiovascular risk will come down the, the general you know morbidity risks will come down so it's being used as a as a preventative tool at the moment, as opposed to to underwriting.
0: But there must be thoughts uh, about the future for it to do that role. And you'll have some underwriters oh, listening to this thinking, "Oh, okay. So, what does that mean for me?"
1: Uh, w- w- listen, without question, that it will be used for under for for underwriting. But I always believe that there is a a a strong part of for human underwriting and judgment making in within within all businesses certainly for you know for 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 the long term on the b2b side there's always additional things that you want to consider when you when you're underwriting a client beyond just you know the numbers there's you know what is the, the current economy looking like what is that what are our business priorities should we take this risk even though we think we're underpricing it and underwriters have a phenomenal ability to look at it holistically and give you that human judgment, which which you really need. So I see these things as becoming more tools for the underwriter, as opposed to replacing the underwriter. Um, certainly in, in in the context that that we're in, um, I also think it does need that external validation and also approval from some of the carriers and reinsurers before you know you, you'd want to kind of throw it out in, in, in the wild.
0: Great. And and in terms of data, you've kind of touched on data with with what you're talking about there. What else are you using AI for in terms of data and getting that out there to to the market and companies? Because I genuinely believe that data changes behavior in mean,
1: all walks of life. So yes and no. I think data is, is this incredible thing that we know and we've certainly all been told many, many times here. It's all about data. It's all about data. I fervently believe that data doesn't give any answers. I think what data does is it lets you ask questions. It gives you questions, not answers. And then you have to do the work to understand the the the, the answers. So I'll give you um, just an anecdote, and example about that from one of our early customers when we were sort of very hands-on with the data. Um, law firm, mid-size, uh, you know, very stressed environment, as you'd expect from a, from one of those really classical law firms. And we were looking at the data and we were looking at the, the mindfulness that was being done. A lot of it was being done 11, uh, 11 o'clock at night, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, and then would start to tail off. So you go... Ah, that's interesting. So our data has given us a question, What is going on? It told us people were doing you know meditating at night, but that doesn't help. It gave us the question. We were then able to go on with the law firm to understand what was happening, and when they dug in, they found that a lot of people were having trouble sleeping. Why? Because it's a very stressful environment and people couldn't switch off at night. and they were able to then come up with plans to deal with. It. So I think that data itself gives us the ability to to ask questions more than anything. When it comes to pricing risk, it's a it's an interesting thing because you look at it from a competitor point of view between different insurers versus the industry. And I can speak about this more from a life perspective, because that's where we've been for the last few years, and we're, we're just going into health insurance now as well. Uh, but on the life side, I remember one of my very earliest conversations with the innovation team at RGA, who, who've been phenomenal partners for us for, for, for many years. And I said, look, let's go dynamic, underwriting, all these incredible things that we're now doing. But- like, we can give you this data. We show that people are walking more, sleeping more, doing all of these things. They're going to be lower risk. And he said, yeah, we know, we know that as a, as a reinsurer. We, we absolutely know that. We've got all, we've got all the research. So like, great. So just, you know, we'll give you the data and you'll give us, you know, better, better rates on the, on, on the reinsurance. They're like, no, we can't do that. Why not? Said, because if we give you better rates, we have to give worse to someone else. And he explained to me that as an industry the reinsurers in this particular case, were getting a, the appropriate amount of mortality profit coming through every year, which means that across their whole book, across the industry, they are pricing correctly. They're getting it wrong for everyone, as it, actuaries always do, but on average, we're getting it right. The right amount of mortality profit was coming out. So if they start pricing better for some, they have to price worse for others just to maintain their current profitability. So that's when you look at it, that bricks behind the industry. So carriers can do it because they are competing with each other to say, I want the better risks or to, or to do it. So it's not so simple as the better data will, 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 will let you win because if you are reinsured and you have to get rates from other people, they don't necessarily buy into it or want to do it, which makes it an, an, a very interesting place to uh, to be. But, but yes, data having data is infinitely better than not having data.
0: Totally, totally agree. Moving off from data because we've covered quite a little bit, quite a lot there content creation and content uh within what you do ai has a huge part to play in that i think so tell
1: me a bit about, about what you do there yeah so i think this is varied across the business is if it was up to me and i did all about content creation it would be the only thing we we use but it probably wouldn't be very good for our, our brand in total and and everything else i think where i find personally and where i know people are using AI in a various formats, whether it be the, the chat GBTs for generating text, or it would be things like Midjourney for generating imagery, um, is that it's a great place to start. It's a great place to get ideas, but not necessarily the end point. It can speed things up, but it's not yet at a place to be consistent enough for, um, you know, for, uh, for prime time all the time. So you know, if you think about it from a, a sales perspective, you've got all the way from the top of the funnel. What I find really interesting, and I was having a debate about this with somebody on LinkedIn at, at one point where said, this is I think this is actually going to eventually destroy cold email writing in, t- in its entirety. My logic being that more and more salespeople, they're always at the cutting edge of finding shortcuts and tools, will all start to use these tools to generate far better personalized emails without question. You can go on and I, go to any of these tools and go, I want to send a cold, and I, this, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to regret this, go online and say... Uh, who's Jonathan Rumer from life? It'll tell if it's Bing chat or one of these things. And you'll say, all right, write him a cold, personalized email from my company asking for a meeting. And you'll get something pretty damn good that could refer even to my LinkedIn posts, etc. Once the quality of that for everyone goes up, then me as a as a, as a buyer sitting there on the other end, will start to ignore even the good quality emails. Because at the moment, I'll look at the good quality ones because I'm going to ignore the spam. So then I start to ignore everything, which actually means... That people who can be more human and find human ways of contacting me will win again. So it's a very, very interesting thing that when the quality level goes up too much, it all becomes spam effectively, and then you have to find new ways of doing it. Um, so I think in terms of general content, human is, is, is going to to get you more of what you want, enabled by AI to to just get there quicker or better or brainstorm um, without completely replacing it. Because even though these days I think most people can spot something when it's been AI generated w- without knowing why, you could just feel it's a little bit different.
0: You mentioned ChatGPT amongst that content creation. Um, One of the things that concerns me is how we kind of stop disinformation, how we validate information and make sure that it's factually correct when we use it rather than just accept that ChatGPT, I think number four has just come out or
1: other stuff like that is correct. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so the world we live in at the moment now, I think, the, the best way, it's an unfortunate way of looking, but living, but you almost have to treat everything as being incorrect until you've personally validated it, whether it be a, a, a text that's been written or a picture that you've seen or even a video these days, which can now also be very easily edited. So I think everybody has to have a healthy dose of skepticism. I think where tools like ChatGPT, certainly in the beginning, when you first use it and you ask it to write an essay about this or tell me about this topic, and it comes and you go, wow, this thing is. I cannot believe how confident it is in the answer. But if you ask it to tell you something about a domain or a field that you know, so if I went on there and said, tell me about life insurance, well-being in the tech industry in London, I'd be able to very quickly see why it's talking nonsense. And you can tell, but only when you're knowledgeable in, in in a subject. So I think that this is something that goes well beyond just ChatGPT, which makes it easier to produce incorrect information at scale. But it just means that people have to take more personal responsibility at the end of the day because... There's, there's no way around these tools now. They're, they're out there. They're out there.
0: So we won't be getting a validation on the bomb saying source from chat GPT.
1: So, I, I would, so the thing is, I don't think people should shy away from that. I've tried it in one or two LinkedIn <laughs> posts that have stuck it in like square brackets, like either AI generated, human generated, AI assisted. You know what? Like it, it is what it is. It's just tools that pe- people are, are using. The fun ones, though, which are, 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 are almost there are the voice cloning ones now, which are freaky you can go on and just within a few minutes have a, a model of your own voice and you can type in and have a you can have a conversation with yourself speaking out loud which is also freaky there's a bit of latency in it now but it's it's actually scary i'm
0: not sure when i sit here myself actually oh gosh <laughs> you sound wonderful <laughs> right. david yeah yeah, no, <laughs> yeah you're a South i you've got that nice accent <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. let's talk about humans and people mm. and, and what you're doing to because there are some fears um in and around our industry about what to AI is doing to jobs and I totally get that some mundane jobs um, going in and into the AI world it makes us more efficient and obviously makes us more profitable which is great. Um, but uh, what are we going to do to help our people feel as though you know they're not totally being threatened to encourage people to join the industry uh, and what roles should they be looking to go into in the industry that's becoming
1: very streamlined? Um, and very techie based. So there was a, a brilliant quote I saw on X not too long ago addressing this specifically where person said, and I hope this get this right, said, It's not AI that's going to take your job. It's the person using AI who's going to take your job. I think that really encapsulates the where we are right now and at least for the next few years, where it is very much a tool to help people to be more efficient with what they what they do. So people who embrace it right now will be the ones who, who win without question across any role in the business. Now, if I, if I look at some of our insurance specialists who are responsible for some of the administration, when they use these tools to help to draft emails, to help to, you know, to speed things up, it's beneficial for everyone because it just makes things, you know, faster and quicker and, and, and better. So I think in the, in the longer term, you know, the next generation of people who are who joining businesses will be more native to these tools and will start using it. And that will change the way that companies hire. But that's no difference to, you know, fax, to email, to anything else. The world changes. People adapt. Different jobs come up. So, I, I you know what, yes, there's always pain when the new technologies come out. But on the whole, um, it's generally beneficial for for everyone over time.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that um, we need to remove the mundane jobs. Um, at the moment, AI doesn't have emotional intelligence, which we some of us do and uh, i don't think that's why i get on well with the ai it's very simple for me i just speak i am like it's in my head so let's talk about a bit about the future um and you know you, you, we've talked earlier on about books and the future that we read when when i certainly when i was a kid and and what that looked like if you were to kind of stare into the future now what, what can you see and and how does it look and you know will there be a robot one day that's uh thinks and talks like a human with emotional intelligence that you can answer that last book you know uh. what,
1: what what's what's coming next the truth is i i really don't know but i know that i'm going to enjoy enjoy every step along the way because i'm going to try out each new thing as as it comes along and i think you know for me personally that that's took me just the way that i do these things is is i love to just be part of the hype and and, and jump on the bandwagon as early as possible I think with a lot of the the AI hype and everything at the moment now, it hasn't settled as to what the you know what the, the direct pathway will will be, um, because we're always good as humans in complicating everything. Um, I think that there was a very interesting thing the recently where somebody spoke about where things like these these large language models like ChatGPT plus the robotics which you just mentioned, where if you can make it feel a little bit more human can actually help in so many ways with um, there's a very big epidemic of loneliness especially amongst um, you know older people and in, in in a great world now not only older people where a lot of people are working remotely uh, staying single longer or you know have, have have don't have a partner so you have a lot of ability there to actually help those people at the same time it's a bit scary because i'm you know going to be developing this emotional attachment like you've seen in movies to to something that's not real so i don't know but i just know that i'm going to enjoy uh, Enjoy finding that robot one day and my wife complaining that I speak more to the robotic AI than I do to her because that without question will will happen. I just know it.
0: And what's next for you, Life, on your journey? What, what are you bringing in or what, what's on the kind of roadmap?
1: Yeah, thank you. We're, we're, we're very busy at the, at the moment. The, the, the big news today that would have been in the news um, so a short while ago for anybody listening is, is, is that we've now uh, just partnered with Bupa to go into health insurance. So that's a really huge step for us where we get to bring our mission of inspiring people to live their best lives, not only from the a group risk perspective, but into a health perspective as well. Um, and we're coupling with that with some phenomenal international expansion with uh, the US and South Africa. Um, and yeah, just, just going from strength to strength. So a lot, uh, a, a lot of fun on a, on a daily basis.
0: And anything particularly interesting AI-wise that you can kind of let us into? What, you, what are you researching? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I, I, I don't know if I can tell you just yet. So we, we're playing around with, with quite a few things. I think a lot more around the personalized prevention and pathways of care. So that's something we're playing around with quite a, a lot at the moment now. And it's something I hope sees the light of day in not too long. The tricky thing there is exactly what you were talking about is um, misinformation or not providing things that are, are, are accurate. So it's a bit of a challenge to make sure that the answers that are given, especially when it comes to someone's health and well being are things that you really want to back up. You know, it really <laughs> needs to be real. Um, so we're playing around in, in, in that space at the moment, which I think will solve um, some really big issues for big companies who have uh, multiple providers and people don't know where to go to get the appropriate health. So so that's one that I'm particularly excited at the moment now that we're uh, we're playing with. You mentioned um, people don't know where to go. What, what do you mean by that? Mm. So often if somebody's feeling something or something's gone wrong whether it be a mental health condition a physical health condition um or, or any form of ailment if they're at a big company often there's there's uh, multiple services there's it might be a virtual gp there might be an eap there might be an occupational health uh, you know there's a lot of entitlements that they have both at a company or through a, a a societal perspective with the nhs and often people don't do anything because they just don't know where to go to get help or the appropriate place and they get pushed from pillar to post um so this is a, a tool that we're looking at to um yeah. To just to really help with that.
0: I, um, when I think about, I have another hat, which is an advisory hat. And, uh, if you're in a business and you've got group life insurance, group income protection, private medical insurance, you might have an EAP attached to all, you might have a standalone EAP. You might have an occupational health uh, advisor. You might have an HR team, you might have, um, mental health first aiders, where do you go for that first piece of advice, and then where do you go on that journey um, to to get treatment and help you wherever you are get better, maybe or improve your health? I think that absolutely is is vital in our industry because we just throw all these things in um, as free add-ons, um, etc. And I feel sorry for the employee at the other end actually, if me as an advisor struggles to see where somebody can go. Um, anything that can bring it together, which obviously is AI-backed, would be an absolute godsend. So, on that note, we've come to the end. I'd like to thank you, Jonathan, for your time. It's been really interesting. Thank you very much indeed to everybody for listening. Please look at further podcasts on Spotify or Apple, and all our previous episodes are stored there too. Amy members can access through the Member Zone through the Amy website.